0: Let's ask God to help us with his word. Our gracious uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we pray in your mercy that we would know the encouragement of your word tonight so that we would persevere in trusting Jesus and in living lives that bring him honour and glory. We pray that we would increase in our confidence in him. And gracious Father, uh, we do pray that we would not just be hearers but doers of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how do you live when you're expecting to die? Uh, One of us who has faced the near prospect of death from cancer said that at the least you stop buying new clothes. But besides adjusting your purchasing habits, How do you live well when you're expecting to die? This is not a bad question for all of us to think about because, let's face it, we are all expecting to die. Uh, Some of us may regard our death as such a remote possibility that we've actually never engaged in its reality, though perhaps recently COVID has shaken you out of your complacency. Some of us, on the other hand, may have been so shaken by the death of someone close to us that we've given it quite a bit of thought. And then occasionally we might be in the situation, as a friend of mine was, in knowing your death was no longer a remote possibility but a certainty in the next few months. He had had a long battle with a kind of blood cancer and now the drugs that suppress the multiplication of the cancer cells had stopped working. In consultation with his doctors, the decision was made to stop all but palliative care. And he knew when that decision was made that he would die in the next two to three months. He lived expecting to die. Now, that was quite unusual and it was very unsettling. But whether we think our death will be like his in a clearly anticipated time frame or sudden or after a lingering decay, we can and should all expect to die. So how do we live well expecting to die? That's actually the challenge the human condition presents to each of us each day, living well while expecting to die. The Apostle Paul was living as someone who expected to die. Not immediately, no, he was anticipating he'd have a few more months' time for Timothy to come from Ephesus to Rome. Not immediately, but certainly. When the legal process he was engaged in concluded, as he made clear in verses 6 and 7, the time for my departure is close, he wrote to Timothy. He is expecting to die. Yet as we'll see, he is still living an engaged, purposeful and confident life. He is living well. In facing our own deaths, Paul is an encouragement and model for us as he faces his death, his soon-to-be death. And here's someone who can point us to the source of a life lived well, In the face of death. The first thing I hope that struck you as you heard those verses being read, these last words here Paul wrote in our New Testament is just how engaged Paul is with people, with fellow workers and friends. There are actually seven including Timothy, six mentioned by name in verses nine to eleven. And the readers and readers of the New Testament would have met them all in other writings of Paul except Crescens. Titus and Luke are Paul's trusted assistants and companions. Tychicus was a bearer of Paul's letters to Ephesus and Colossae. Mark was someone who we meet in Acts, someone who'd abandoned Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey and Paul had refused to take with him on the second missionary journey but that relationship had been healed and Paul wants his company. for He's useful in ministry, someone Paul can now rely on. So seven mentioned in those verses and then there are Paul's friends and fellow workers still in Asia mentioned in verses 19 to 20. Old and respected friends and co-workers Prisca and Aquila dear to him of whom he wrote in Romans that they'd risks their necks for his own life and the household of Omnesiphorus who had sought Paul out in his imprisonment. Paul takes the opportunity here to fill Timothy in about mutual colleagues and their movements, Erastus and Trophimus, not healed, notice, despite being a companion of the apostle. And then Paul is joined in sending greetings by some in Rome. Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, Claudia, of whom little is known. But what we see is that Paul is immersed in relationships. He's aware of people's comings and goings. He hasn't withdrawn or turned in on himself in light of his coming death. He's immersed in relationships even if they cause him grief. He is plainly grieved by the departure of Demas. Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world. Now Demas is someone we know from Colossians four and Philemon as one of Paul's faithful assistants, but now in Paul's time of need he's deserted him. And what really grieves is the reason for his desertion. He loved this present world. We're not told that he apostatized had abandoned faith in Jesus. Rather, he has abandoned the way of the cross by abandoning his service with Paul in Rome for the safer, more rewarding environs of Thessalonica. <coughs> he had sought, as it were, to save his own life rather than lose his life for Christ. <laughs> for all we know, he may have even continued to have a place in the life of the church in Thessalonica because it's actually easy to veil love of this world, we can leave our post talking of greater usefulness elsewhere but be directed there not by our Lord but by our own ambition. Now, we're not told uh, that his departure was motivated by fear or boredom or want or possible if you're with someone in prison, just that he loved the life of this age more. His decisions no longer directed by love of Jesus, but by love of self. And even though it may appear reasonable to others, it meant he had also abandoned love of Jesus' people, deserting his brother, leaving him to the rigours of imprisonment. It's such a haunting way, isn't it, to have your life summed up. But those few words, Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world, always makes me think how I would behave when exposed to loss or hardship for the gospel, for loving Jesus' people. It's easy when things are going well, isn't it? How will you behave when you're exposed to that loss or hardship? We can boast of great loyalty, but our hearts can be deceptive And it is easy to find reasons for leaving hard places to rationalise our decisions. At least I find that to be true. It's always good, isn't it, to keep our hearts open before the God who searches the heart and pray with the psalmist that God in his mercy would search us and know our hearts, would test us and know our thoughts and see if there is any offensive way in me And lead me in the everlasting way. Always good to ask God to sift our motivation so that we can see where we are not moved by love of Jesus, but by love of other things and turn away from those loves. And just as Paul is grieved for Demas, we see here he is concerned for Timothy. He warns him against Alexander. The coppersmith. Now Alexander's identity is unknown. Perhaps he's the same Alexander Paul put out of the church uh, that Paul mentioned in 1 Timothy, perhaps still smarting and now determined to harm Paul. Maybe he's even betraying Paul to the authorities, informing on him. Now we don't know that for sure, but whoever Alexander was, he harmed Paul But Paul does not seek revenge. He can leave it to God. The Lord will repay him according to his works. Leave it to God as Paul has instructed the Romans. He knew that God has said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And he knows that God will exercise his justice on opponents of the gospel. Knowing that, The end of Paul's days were not wasted in bitterness and anger. He's actually freed from that bitterness by his conviction of God's justice. But he's keen to alert Timothy to the danger. For Alexander's not just opposed to Paul, but to Paul's gospel, his words, the gospel Paul has entrusted to Timothy. Timothy, as he finishes in Asia and Journeys to Rome is to guard against Alexander's malice. And we also have to be realistic about the malice of those who hate the gospel to those who preach it. But notice what we should also see in Paul's engagement with people and that is while Paul is longing to see Timothy, knows he needs company, He's actually still sacrificing himself for the gospel, denying himself to promote the welfare of the churches. He continues to send his co-workers away from him to serve elsewhere. There's no suggestion Crescens and Titus have deserted Paul, rather like Tychicus. They have been sent out by Paul, sent away from him to continue to nurture the congregations Paul has planted through his preaching of the gospel. Facing his end, Paul lives well. His is not the self-absorption of self-pity, nor has he allowed himself to be overwhelmed with grief or fear, to be captured by bitterness at the way others had wronged him, to ruminate on what might have been. Now, trusting the Lord Jesus Confident in him, as we heard in verse 8 and verses 17 to 18. Confident in him, knowing his presence. Paul continues, concerned for and engaged with others, seeking as he is able their welfare, concerned for the spread of the gospel and the establishment of Christ's churches. Now if Paul in the face of death can do that, Is that the way you're living in the face of this pandemic? You know, are you just absorbed in your own trials and difficulties and frustrations? Or are you concerned for, caring for, praying for others? Who are you engaged with? Well, we also see in these verses... The poor continues not just engaged with others, but also realistic about his needs. There is no suggestion of his embracing a life denying asceticism or accepting mind-numbing and unproductive boredom. Bring Mark with you. Oh, when you come, bring the cloak I left in Troas with Carpus as well as the scrolls, especially the parchments. See, Paul knows and accepts his needs, his human needs. He accepts his need for companionship and assistance, the companionship of Timothy and the assistance of Mark. He's very open about it, isn't he? He's unashamed. Make every effort to come to me soon. Bring Mark because he's useful to me. He accepts his need for human companionship and he accepts his need for physical provision. Verse 13, he asks as winter approaches for his cloak, a warm outer garment, to ease his discomfort through the cold of winter. Oh, and he's open about his intellectual needs. The scrolls are literally books, here most probably papyri documents. But the parchments, well, that's more expensive material and why, while it could refer to material on which Paul could write, he could actually get that in Rome. So most probably here he's referring to the books of the Old Testament. Paul is determined to be intellectually activity, active in his captivity, to be reading and writing. He didn't think, what's the use? He knew he had to keep feeding his mind, stimulating it with study. Christians as people of the Bible are people of books and we should discipline ourselves to continue to be so. See, God's word thankfully has been given to us in written form because books are more durable, more publicly accessible than videos. the information more permanent. If Paul in prison called for books and didn't let his mind become idle, we, shan't, we shouldn't let our minds become idle in lockdown, for the vacant space will be filled by other, less worthy thoughts. Paul recognised and took steps to meet his needs, needs we all have for companionship, for the care of our bodies, for intellectual stimulation. Those needs are an expression of our common humanity, the way we're made, and we should own them for ourselves. And like Paul, be active in making provision for them. There's no shame in ringing someone up and asking them to go for a walk, in buying what you need to care for yourself, in talking with others, say, about what you're learning or learning especially from the Word, what you're reading. And we should recognise and anticipate these needs in others, especially those who are deprived of them, especially at this time by isolation or sickness, or want. Lockdown is an opportunity to practice that care, to provide companionship or food or intellectual engagement, to take the initiative to do that. But those needs are always there and in all, whether it's in believers in poorer circumstances or believers in prison. Realism about who we are will help our love of others. Realism about our needs will make us conscious of theirs. As he anticipates his end, Paul is engaged, realistic about his continuing needs. But above all, Paul is confident in the Lord's help and conscious of his presence. At my first offence, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that I might fully preach the word and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory for forever and ever. <laughs> Amen. Paul continues purposeful, hopeful and confident in the Lord Jesus. Uh, Paul's first offence was the preliminary public hearing that decided whether Paul had a case to answer, whether he would proceed to the full formal trial. Uh, We're not sure what the charges against Paul were, although we know that Christians by the end of the 1st and the beginning of the 2nd century were popularly accused of three things. Atheism, because they didn't worship the gods. Of cannibalism, because people misunderstood the Lord's Supper, the eating and drinking of Christ's body and blood. And they were accused of what was called hatred of the human race, because they were perceived as being disloyal to Caesar, on whom the welfare of the world, its peace and stability, was thought to depend It's quite a serious charge sheet and one which dealt with matters at the heart of Roman rule and made Christians quite unpopular. Now, Paul wasn't entitled to have an advocate with him in this preliminary hearing, but he says, no one stood by me, all deserted him. Now, we shouldn't understand that as every Christian in Rome, but everyone who was... Qualified to come to his aid in court to assist him or give evidence on his behalf, but notice he is generous to their frailty. May the Lord may it not be counted against them. He seeks mercy from the Lord for them. You see, Paul could bear the with the weakness of his brothers and sisters with compassion because he did not have his hope in them. He was not relying on them or seeking to draw strength from them. His hope, his reliance was on the Lord. But his observation does stress that humanly speaking, he was alone, which makes what he says next all the more powerful. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. So that I might fully preach the word and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. He's deserted by all, but not alone. He knew the Lord's presence and was sustained by his strength. And by our Lord's help, Paul was able to continue to discharge his calling. His arrest and trial, his imprisonment and suffering were not purposeless. They were an opportunity to continue his ministry, to run his race to the end by fully preaching the word, the proclamation of Jesus, by being able to expound the gospel in its fullness in Rome, that great cosmopolitan city. Jesus, you see, had called him to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul had said to the Ephesians that, this grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. Before King Agrippa in Acts 26, Paul had testified that the risen Lord Jesus had appeared to him and said, I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul was faithful to his calling. He engaged in his imprisonment and trial with the same purpose with which he'd lived, to testify to Christ. And he had found that the Lord was faithful to him. The Lord stood with me, and I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Though not set free, he wasn't sentenced to execution immediately. As a Roman citizen, Paul would not have literally been thrown to the lion's. Uh, Roman citizens had the privilege of having their heads chopped off instead. But Paul is reflecting that just as the Lord rescued his faithful servant Daniel, so the Lord had rescued him, not just from death, but from unfaithfulness. Just as the Lord has strengthened Daniel to be faithful when challenged to stop worshipping God, so the Lord had strengthened Paul when challenged to stop preaching the gospel, to stop serving his Lord. In fact, the very opposite had happened, strengthened by his Lord. He had proclaimed the gospel fully at the heart of Gentile power, at the centre of the Roman world. And Paul continued confident of his Lord's continuing help and rescue and so he continued hopeful in the face of his expected death. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory for ever and ever. Amen. Evil works, the malice of an Alexander, the accusations of the pagans, the lies told about Christians, they won't achieve their aim. In silencing, And destroying Paul. In fact, they will only serve his salvation, for Jesus is Lord, risen from the dead, the descendant of David, spoken of in Psalm 2, who rules the nations with a rod of iron, the Lord with all authority in heaven and earth, not Caesar, Jesus. And the Lord will rescue his servant as he promised. And the Lord Jesus has prepared a place for his people which Paul knew was better. To depart and be with Christ, It said in Philippians, is better by far. His Lord is faithful and Paul knows he will share in his kingdom, in the resurrection and the new heaven and earth. Paul isn't fearful but confident in Christ. And facing his death, he praises him. Praises the one for whose sake he is now standing trial and about to lose his life. Paul's engaged, realistic, purposeful life in the face of his end was sustained by his confidence in his Lord Jesus and his consciousness of his presence, and yes, sustained by the knowledge of his Lord's grace in calling him, Paul, to himself and his service. Paul, remember the beginning of 1 Timothy, knew himself to be a sinner, a persecutor of the church, the least of the apostles, as you heard in Ephesians, the least of all the saints. And yet he knew himself to have received grace, grace to trust in and grace to serve the Lord Jesus. And so with his final words, Paul bequeaths to Timothy that presence and grace. The last words Paul writes in the New Testament, the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you all. With that prayer, Paul knew he had asked for Timothy all that Timothy will need to continue faithful in his turn, to run his race to the end. Firstly, he asked for the presence of Jesus with Timothy and that Timothy would have the consciousness of that presence, the presence Jesus had promised to all his people. If God is for us, Paul had written in Romans, who can be against us? He might as well have written, if Christ is with us, who can overcome us. We're never alone as believers, never abandoned to our own resources, never alone, even in death, when all we love must leave us and we leave all we love. And so, believer, are you confident of Christ with you? As he promised, I am with you always. Are you confident? Now, sometimes we might think of that uncomfortably, mightn't we, because we're uneasy about our sin, uneasy about what Jesus is seeing. But in reality, Christ with us, our good shepherd, always with us. You are with me. In reality, Christ with us is our hope and confidence. Never alone, no matter how fearful or threatening or hostile our circumstances might be. Never alone. Paul prays that Timothy would know Christ's presence and he prays that he would know the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Remember that grace? The grace that saves, that made us alive when we were dead in our sin. The grace that is sufficient in our weakness, that allows Christ's power to be seen in our lives. The grace in which we stand in our relationship with God. Grace, God's generous, free kindness to us, to every believer in Christ. His determination in love to save us, his viewing us with the favour with which he regards his son. Grace in weakness. When defeated by sin and feeling we cannot draw near for forgiveness again, when conscious of our need for help because of our frailty, when the challenge seems too great, Timothy and we, can rely on the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace that rescued us when we were sinners will not abandon us when we are servants. The grace that adopted us when we were rebels will not leave us when we are seeking to live as sons. What Paul had known from Jesus from the time of his calling, Christ with him, Christ's grace This is what he prays for Timothy, confident that the Lord will answer. And so Paul faces his end, not anxious about those he loves and will leave behind. He's entrusted them to the Lord, who has shown him grace and kept him to his eternal kingdom. And that is all and enough. Engaged, realistic, purposefully engaging with the work the Lord has given him because he is confident of the Lord Jesus' grace, presence and faithfulness. That's the way Paul faced his end. Not bitter towards those who had sought to harm him, not fearful of what awaited him, not withdrawn from loving those close to him, not anxious for those he loved but trusting his faithful saviour and looking forward to the heavenly kingdom and the crown of righteousness he would receive from him, trusting and praising his Lord Jesus who would rescue him, just as he said. Believer in Jesus, that is the way each of us should live now as we await our expected our certain end, for we trust the same Lord Jesus. We know the same grace. If we're believers, it's because that grace, God's free, unmerited kindness to us, that grace has saved us and our Lord Jesus is with us. The Lord Jesus will not fail of his promise. He is the Jesus of Paul's gospel, risen from the dead, never to die, always alive to keep his promises, the promised son of David with an eternal kingdom to whom every knee will bow. He is mighty to rescue us and bring us to his heavenly kingdom. And living that way, the way we see Paul live, engaged, realistic, purposeful and hopeful, the lives of those who trust Jesus, living that way, we will be always ready for our end, whether it comes suddenly or we have the strange experience of knowing it will come in an anticipated month or two or whether ours is the lingering decay and departure of the very elderly. So is that you? Is that the way you are living? Now, engaged with others, concerned for their welfare, encouraging them by your interest, living with real relationships, engaged, realistic about the needs of your humanity and so sustaining yourself and realistic about the needs of others, and so being able to love them well. Engaged, realistic, and living a purposeful life in obeying your Lord, engaging as you can in making disciples as he's commanded, in seeking opportunities to do the good that will bring him honour, trusting that he can deliver you from every evil work. And yes, praising your Saviour. Is that you? If not, pray. Pray in your fears and failings that you would know more and more of the Lord's presence and his grace, the Lord's presence with you. Pray so you will grow in that. Live in his presence. Live with his grace each day so you are ready to be saved to his eternal kingdom, ready and confident that he will rescue you and save you to that kingdom. Paul's last words. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with us all. Amen. Our gracious heavenly Father, We pray in your great mercy that we would know the reality of which Paul speaks. We pray in your mercy to us, in your grace to sinners, that we would know the Lord Jesus' presence through his spirit with us and that we are never alone. And we pray in your mercy that we would be confident in your grace and in your grace rely on you to live godly lives, to turn away from sin, to give ourselves to loving you and loving others, to trust you, to show your power in our weakness and to be confident always to draw near to you. Please work in our lives so that when our end comes, our confidence in Jesus would honour him as he is, the only Saviour who will keep his promise and raise us to everlasting life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.